Welcome to Model Minority Moms, where we talk about the meaning of success in career, family, and life. We are Jeanette Park, Kate Wong, and Susan Liu, Harvard classmates and Asian American working moms who get real about the pressures of fitting in while standing out. Greetings, greetings. Welcome to another episode of Model Minority Moms. We are on a series called For Real Though, where we are taking our listeners' questions from people like you and discussing them on the air. So thank you so much for contributing. This is from Kayoko. She said, would love to hear an episode on your plans for retirement and how your kids would or wouldn't play a role in it. For example, what plans do you have if you have only one kid and there are responsibilities in your aging? What are you doing with your parents' retirement? We just had another episode on the parents' retirement part. It it was a very rich question. And so in this section, we are going to be talking about our own retirement and our kids' expectations. So that's what we're going to be focusing on here. So Jeanette, we were you talking about parents' retirement and the cost of having a nurse in your home. You were giving me a ballpark number about 60K and also saying that elderly care community organizations are require a, a deposit of either a quarter million to half a million and then annual fees of 20 to 60K a year. I yeah, mean, just, just to be clear, this is the nicer retirement homes, right? These are like the places with the bocce and like a dining hall and ballroom dancing, right? So it's maybe it's not ultra luxe, but it's like it, it is on the higher end. I just wanted a ballpark, mm-hmm. okay? And I didn't even know you need to have those kinds of deposits and... And and no one no one ever wants to think that they're gonna need support later. Everyone wants to die peacefully in their seventies through nineties in their bed, surrounded by their family, and you just like go just like that. But the day before, you're gardening and driving your car. You know, like we 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 hope that we will just be fit and healthy, and all of a sudden we say bye bye bye. But it's it's not the case. And so when you were throwing out those numbers during the prior episode, I started thinking about me and Marvin's retirement plan. And our spreadsheet based on if the S&P 500 does conservatively well versus really well. And we only assumed that we would live into our 70s and it was we assumed we'd be healthy and that we'd just go travel around the world. And I did not build in the cost of elderly care for myself. I didn't. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting here going like, oh, my God, I need to schedule another meeting with Marvin. And like, we need to redo this. Like, our fire plan is not going to work now, you know? So that was really sobering for me, for you just to give me those numbers. <laughs> but, yeah, it was really, it was, it was good, bad. And the thing is, is we are in our late 30s. We're in overall great health. And, and so to really think about, no, Susan. There may may be a point in your life where you lose your sense of balance and walk around with a cane. You can't drive anymore. You know, your your eyes go really bad. Maybe your brain deteriorates. Like, I don't come from a... Okay, health care records in Vietnam were poor. We came from... My family came from a very rural village. So, like, do I know we have a history of Alzheimer's? Not really. If well, I look and also, at, people might not have lived long. And, you know, they might have died from other causes. Right. Before they got to Alzheimer's. Yeah, like the various wars that were waged onto Vietnam over the decades. So I'm kind of sitting here and going like, oh, I don't know what I'm likely going, what's likely going to happen in my old age. Like I saw my grandma go from lung cancer, even though she didn't smoke. So I was like, okay, so maybe it's because she used to cook with a, a an open fire in an outdoor kitchen. Like maybe that impacted her. Unclear. And then my grandpa, he just lived to 99. So, and he was doing kettlebell swings at his 99th birthday party. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm just gonna just tough it out. And his, his, his death was relatively quick in terms of he didn't, he was still walking near the, I mean, I would say like the last six months of his life was harder for sure, but he was relatively healthy and my dad's in his late 60s. So I'm trying, I'm trying to look at data points now of like, okay, how am I going to go? But that's not life. Life is not predictable. And now I'm just I'm just doubting our entire spreadsheet and and going back and I'm reeling on it because we are intentionally having only one kid, Art, and there's like maybe a small window of maybe we'll foster a kid, very small window. I keep telling Marvin I was like if I become insanely rich 
and bored with my life. I'm going to foster a whole bunch of kids. But like, besides that, I only have one kid. And I, I think I wanted to plan my retirement so that I would expect zero dollars from art. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to put that on him so that that really changes his career choices. I want us to be at a financial secure place where we don't even have to worry about those things. But that's me now in my late 30s saying that. I'm curious if you two have a different feeling. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I would like to give to my kids. I I just feel like financially the the main I don't know deal that Jake and I are thinking of is we pay for college. You know, you'll graduate debt free. And you don't have to worry about supporting us financially in retirement. Like, I still feel like there will be other things that they will probably be uh, conscripted into helping with. You know, there's still so much work around if we have medical issues, like, you know, coordinating care, help with life administration. So I think that we may need help with those things, but at least financially, we are trying to plan it so that it's not the case. Of course, life is not completely predictable. I don't know. There just might be like the apocalypse. But, you know, in, in all, I think kind of reasonable scenarios, we probably won't need that from our kids. And that is the hope and the plan. What I'm also curious from you guys is what you guys think about anything beyond that, right, in terms of leaving for your kids. I feel like actually more from my friends who come from well less off backgrounds or maybe from demographic segments that are historically less well off, I hear more of an interest because they're the first maybe generation in their family who has really been able to save money to any significant degree, or they have an awareness that if you're like a minority in this country, you're much less likely to have generational wealth. And so an interest in passing on money to an inheritance to your kids. And I'm also curious how you guys think about that. I I mean, this is all assuming there will be an inheritance, right? And we won't have to spend it all on our own care before we die. But just I'm curious how you guys think about that. I I think Jake and I have a perspective, but I don't know if it's like that firm. But but yeah, that's the other question I have. I mean, why wouldn't you want to pass something down, you know? Well, oh, oh, like the whole like, oh, I'm going to give it. I'm a billionaire, but I'm not. I'm a billionaire. I'm going to give it away to other organizations. Is is that the the other choice? If yeah. you did have money to hand right, off? Right, right. I mean, there's many other ways you could spend it, right? And so I think our concerns are more like, is it good for them? You know, what are the ethics and the overall view of the world? And yeah, so I think that that's how we're thinking about it, right? If there is any money left. We don't know. There might be. What I do know about my own family is that despite my, especially my dad's side of the family, well, because my my mother's mom is, she's still alive and actually fairly cognitively with it. But on my dad's dad's side, very broke, you know, went through a lot of economic ups and downs, but she still managed to sock some savings away. And when she passed, she kind of had a surprise in, you know, gift of maybe a couple tens of thousands of dollars to my family that she left after her death. And it actually made like a huge difference in my family's kind of economic trajectory, because I think my parents used that to pay off some debt that they had trouble paying off. And it also allowed them to make a down payment on their first and only house. And I think homeownership for many families is kind of the path to, to economic stability. And so I see that and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe it's not so bad. But but I also feel like there is a part of it where I worry that, you know, I feel like Jake and I, we have like very little expectation of anything from our parents. But I think the flip side of that is then we, maybe it just motivated us to hustle more from fairly early on. And so, yeah, I think that's my other concern, right? So I don't know. I'm I'm interested to hear you guys, how you guys are thinking about it. I mean, I definitely don't want to burden my kids with me or you know I think similarly to my parents right like I don't I think I'm the only child and my parents didn't want I think they made their lives such that it's great I don't have a financial burden to them when they age I think for my kids I would want the same thing and I think Nerev and I are in a position where we can be or like work you know I think we're planning things out where we can be I think I think a lot about stewardship for 
my kids, right? Because they are also my parents' estate. Um, they're going to be obviously in our estate. I think a lot about le less so how like, you know, what can I leave for my kids financially or otherwise, but more how can I how can I leave with a sense of responsibility for the family's legacy, whether it's financial or otherwise? I started thinking that about that a lot in the past year. So wait, 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 what would be the otherwise category? Oh, like, I don't know. Let's say if we do some philanthropy or if we have ways in which we we like to manage the money, right? You know, like I definitely plan to keep any money locked up for my kids if they inherit until that. I think the latest you can, the last installment they could get is in their early 30s or something. But, you know, it, it, but it's less about the money and it's more about the ethos of how you see money. Because I've seen interesting situations where the second or third generation, if they get something, you know, they spend it or they don't like what the initial, the older generations start off with in certain terms of stewarding or how they, you know, if there is a family inheritance, how you spend it has sort of been lost. And I think about that a lot. I think it's, it is important, right? Because especially because my, my daughters will not struggle in the same, will not see struggle in the same way that I saw my parents struggle or that we saw our parents struggle, right? Like, I think we had this offline conversation about, oh, our parents, like, how are their kids going to do if they like, are so comfortable and they don't like see you know, see certain things. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of, I, I just been thinking about that a lot. Tangible and intangible assets, right, of the family in terms of passing down. I think I kind of understand what you're saying, Kate. I mean, I, I think it's like, it's it's a very, very privileged problem, but you do, I feel like, see this pattern of, you know, let's say in some generation, there's like a significant amount of wealth made. And then, then it's the second, you know, I think there's even some kind of joke, you know, like the second generation maintains it and then the third generation basically like dissolves it right <laughs> so it's this question of how can you kind of pass on a mindset or a discipline around managing money appropriately right and stewarding money appropriately and also still retaining the ethos of hard work right even if it's not required for immediate survival and that's like a very you know it's an extremely privileged question which which I also just want to say like I, I'm not sure if there was additional context to what Kyoko meant in her question. But but I, I feel like, you know, most parents would not want to burden their kids with financial responsibility for their care. After. Am I missing something? I And I think Kyoko's question is a great one. But I just want to ask you guys if you think there's another angle on it, because I'm I, I, I'm kind of we're like going around and we're all saying no. Yeah. But I also feel like most parents would answer no. Right. Well, I don't if know. They could, if they could, if they could. Well, I challenge that because I think like in, in, in traditional, some traditional cultures, it's less about what I burden my children. And in, in that family structure, it's like, this is the, how do I say this? It is like, I'm, you know, I nurtured you and it's sort of this unspoken. Yeah. Like, parent, you know, now it's you, you, you as the child, your turn to nurture, like take care of the elders. I don't know that any, you know, maybe there's some parents who are explicit, like, yes, you have to support me when I get old because, you know. But but I think there's a lot more of that unspoken expectation there. Yeah, you're like, Which, like I will see yeah. your true character come out when the time comes if you truly appreciated my sacrifice to you. Or, or people would say, I don't expect you to do it, but secretly, you know, because like, ugh, I don't know if this happens in Vietnamese and Korean cultures, but like in, in, in China, when I was in China, I would like, my parents would often, you know, their friends or acquaintances would like often talk about how their kids, like after their first paycheck, like bought them a car or like, you know, they say that my parents actually, my mom, especially, she really hates that kind of stuff because she it's like basically, you know, people comparing and trying to make other people feel bad. Right. Because like one time what some lady in this our this is like my my kids level of filial piety. Exactly. No, no, no. My sure. kids like, are the most this this, this one girl that I grew up with, you know, her 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 first job was at like she studied computer science. She was like at Intel or something like that. And I guess with her first like earlier paycheck, she like bought her parents a car. And then her mom was like basically humble bragging about it, not humble, maybe just bragging about it to like everybody in the Chinese community. Right. And I'm sure a lot of parents would hear that. And then they would like put the pressure on their kids being like, did you know, so-and-so bought her mom, like a parents, a car. And then, but when my mom told me about it, she's like really annoyed. She's like, you know, I don't like this kind of stuff because it just makes things, you know, it, it just puts a lot of pressure. But I think my mom is like a odd bird in a good way in that sense. But I do think there is a lot of that, you know, where the parents might not necessarily say, yeah, support me, but they they want to see signs of you like being being there and maybe being willing to support them through previous actions. Right. Because it's, it's not like an explicit. Yes. But, but, but I like demand among, that you. 
But among our generation, though, I mean, no, like, that's what I mean, though. But I think maybe yeah. she's asking us that because she's seen that in previous generations. I don't think in our generation I've come across that. Well, it did. When you mentioned that example, I'm like, would I expect something like that from Isaiah and Ruth when they're old? I mean, so I don't think that I would expect them to buy me something that's like materially worth a lot of money. But I would. I do think I will be disappointed if they don't show me appreciation in other ways, like remembering my birthday or remembering like Mother's Day, you know, or like calling me on a regular basis or visiting for the holidays. Right. Like these are not things that necessarily cost a lot of money, but I do think that I would be disappointed and maybe sad if they didn't do those things. Right. So it's not like so much about I mean, I don't want them to buy me stuff. But I I do think that there's maybe a different form of it where um, I don't know, I expect emotional companionship into my old age and that's like how they're going to repay me for <laughs> is yes. that harder than financial support? I mean, you clearly have an emotional punch list here. Like I'm like, this. you're like, oh, I don't expect them to do anything except for these things. Well, yeah, I mean, I... I I don't know. I'm like, is it a reciprocity thing? Or I just hope that our relationship is still good enough at that point that they would we would still be doing these things, right? But I don't know. I feel like for the older Asian generation, it's like it, it it's like retirement, like the security of retirement plus like the emotional component all wrapped up in one, like in the form of a car, which is like, I appreciate you and I will take care of you. You know what I mean? Like material like in a material way. But I I, I just don't know if yeah, I guess those are kind of my expectations. I'm imagining myself living in one of these like elderly retirement homes where we play pickleball and like and like have competitive bingo tournaments. And I would have like, a, I don't know, a team T-shirt that says I-34 or something. But like I I'm imagining are just like never like I guess I almost like imagine like if we were in the same town or region. Maybe like a monthly visit, you know, like I said, like if he had a partner and kids, would I expect to live in the mother-in-law unit that they have? And part of me is like, I'm going to be a, I'm a cool mom now. I'm going to be a cool elderly person, you know, and like you'd want me around and I'd be helpful and it'd, I'd be really fun. But also I think I'd have a life outside of family too, right? Where it's like, I, I hope I am a, a type of person that have diversified my personality and identity enough that all of my happiness is not hinging on whether my kid is paying homage to me. But at the same time, I hope we have a beautiful relationship where spending time together is valuable and that it is equally beneficial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, it's not that. Sorry, I want to clarify that I also don't think that and I hope I'm not relying on my kids for the only social interaction that I have. But but there is like a part of it where I hope that they are calling me on a regular basis. Like, oh, you yeah, know, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I think about it a little bit more in terms of my daughter, actually. I mean, so I don't know what my kids will be like, you know, when they grow older and, you know, like Isaiah, at one point, his like highest aspiration when asked what he wanted to be was a daddy. And Cute. yeah, it's adorable. Wow. I know. It's really like it's yeah. because the concept of like a policeman, everybody, you know, like it's it's policeman, but a, a daddy it involves a lot. It's like the role of a father is like nurturing, emotional. It's, it's very yeah. complex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could ask kids that and they'd concept. be like, they'd be like fire truck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, that's what he was saying for a while. And uh, so I don't know if maybe he'll choose to be a stay-at-home father. Who knows? Or he'll work, but he'll be the lead parent, you know? So I don't know what my kids will choose and, you know, whether they'll even have kids or what. Right. Oh my but God. It would be so great if he had a, not a podcast, because that's going to be outdated by the time he's older, but like a virtual reality show. program called Model Minority Dads. <laughs> I think if they follow kind of more gender normative path, then I, I think in that scenario, I think about my daughter more and how I would want to, let's say if she wanted to have a career outside the home, like how I would want to support her. I, I think sometimes I do think about that, you know, that I would maybe want to be like a more hands-on 
grandma or like a more kind of present grandma so that she could feel like her bases were more covered at home, you know, while she was still like able to work and and do the work that she wanted to do. Yeah. So I think about that a little bit more. Speaking of gender normative things, actually, I'm very curious. I know, at least in Chinese cultures and among my friends, there's definitely a big difference in terms of how a son versus a daughter kind of both expectations on the parents on the son and daughter, how they get involved when the parents are older, but also just the son and daughter. I see different roles, right? For example, you know, for my parents, you know, my dad's son. So he 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 did he like financially supports his family back in China, but he did not offer any emotional support. You know, he doesn't really spend, he didn't really spend time with his mom. Also, that's a whole nother, like we had a lot of ongoing feud with that side of family. But anyway, whereas my mom, you know, I mean, she provided financial support, but her main thing was visiting, right? She spent a lot of time with my grandparents and they would say it was more of the emotional support kind. And a lot of Chinese people, they, their joke is like, oh, you know, it's actually good to have a daughter because they'll actually like want to spend time with you and see you when you're old. Whereas sons, they just leave the house and they get married to some other woman and like they never want to hang out with you again. I hear this a lot from like Chinese people, both my generation and like my parents' generation. So I also just wonder how much of thoughts around retirement, what you, how you support your parents, how you expect your parents, your kids to support you or not, is also gender related, right? I mean, we're women, so and Asian women, so we have a particular perspective. I just wonder, you know, what you've seen in terms of like guys, right? Like your brother, <laughs> Jeanette, or like your brothers, Susan, like how do they see this thing, both with regard to your parents and then also their own kids? They're different. I, I never talk about this with my brothers. I mean, I recently only told two siblings like, hey, you need to talk to dad about where he wants to be buried and if he wants to be cremated or not. Like, can somebody talk to him, please? And nobody raised their hand. And then that was it. So I don't think they're taking ownership unless some, they're, they're having private conversations, which I'd be very happy about. And but I don't know about it. But also very surprised. Maybe. But they, do they send surprised. him checks? Like, do they give him money? I think currently right now, three of the four working kids send money Okay, every month. But it's not necessarily a long gender, like gender splits. No. No. Okay. But two are daughters and one's a son. <laughs> so, but I, I, I mean, I, it, it just depends on the financial situation of each right. person, honestly. But we're all taking care of my dad and some shape or form and then we give bonus checks on birthdays or some holidays because he was a manicurist you know like he finished ninth grade like he sacrificed a lot like it makes it's a no-brainer for me to give I actually am like oh I should give more but honestly it's like oh net present value like investing my money today so I can have more money to give later you know, because I don't actually call the shots on how he spends that money, which I wish I could. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's like money is like super complicated with taking care of parents. And part of it is like. They're adults, but also it's like he doesn't actually have much financial literacy. Because he didn't have access to that slash it's kind of. He like accepts it and doesn't accept it from me because I'm his daughter. And mm -hmm. his child, you know, and sometimes he lets me in to see stuff and then I will do some things and then sometimes he will like not. And I have to respect that. But it's very frustrating because I am just thinking about the future I must be funding. And I can't really like. Kind of have a sobering conversation about that, like out of all the four siblings, I'm the youngest of, of the four of my dad and mother's marriage and uh, it's just took hands off and it's very uncomfortable because I want to lend my education and privilege to him I want to help him as much as I can and he's kind of like no thanks and I'm just watching him take that money we give him and pour it into things like a five thousand dollar Japanese massage chair yeah, I mean, I think that this is like a little bit. Sorry, I feel like we're like going back to the other episode of, you know, parent, parent retirement, parent retirement. It's interlinked. I yes. mean, yeah, they're they're related. But but I think the basic question is like, well, what do we owe our parents and what do we owe our kids and what do we think our kids owe us? I think at the very bottom of it, like that's 
the question. And I guess where I am is that I don't know how to really think about it like in the maybe like, I don't know, like 100 years ago or 200 years ago where women essentially didn't have really a choice on whether they were going to bear a kid or not, how many kids they were going to have. But I think now we have a lot of control over that, right? So I essentially think that if you choose to have a child, then then you owe them a lot. Like, and, and maybe you can, you guys can tell me if this is just like a messed up way to think about it. Jake always says like, he's like, you kind of to take, keep account of too many things, right? I don't know. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I'm just kind of, you know, weird and, and, and messed up in this way, but, 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 you know, whatever, humor me a little bit. Right. So it's like, I, I just feel like if you choose to have a child, like you start off with a balance sheet that's heavily skewed towards like, you, you as a parent, you're going to give a lot and your kids, it doesn't mean your kids are going to owe you anything. Like you, you owe them by having them and bringing them into this world. Like you owe them love, you owe them shelter, you owe them a nurturing, caring, warm environment. You know, you owe them these things and and it's a lot. It, It is like so much, but by bringing this kid into the world, I feel like you do owe them and, and it needs to be given freely right? In a sense that it's not that when your kids are older, they owe you somehow, they owe like their career decisions, or they owe the money that you, they make to you, right? That That's kind of my view of it. And, and so I think that also informs a little bit like what I think we owe our parents, because I think like in my parents' generation, they also had some level, at least my parents did, you know, have some level of control of bringing me and my brother into this world. And they did struggle a lot. And I know that it was very hard for them to raise us. So I think I feel like some level of responsibility to them. And also because they're my parents and especially with my mom, because I have a relationship with her and I care about her well-being. And to some extent, even though I'm somewhat estranged from my dad, I also at at some, I have like some minimum level of care about his well-being, but it's like, it's not like bottomless. You know what I mean? I mean, so that's that's kind of where I am, right? And that I think for me is a bit of a revision from where I was before, maybe like in my teenage years or my my 20s, where I really felt like I had to do everything for my parents. Like I could not imagine at that point and ever sending my parents to like a nursing home or, you know, that they would just like live with me until like they died. You know, but but I think actually me having my own children kind of changed the perspective on that because I don't know, you would think that maybe like having your own kids and then like having to give so much would make you feel like, oh, this is what my parents went through. So I like owe them this much. But I actually feel like the way that I want to give to my kids is like just this is my gift to them. And this is what I chose to do by bringing them here. So that has kind of also informed my perspective of like, well, how do I think about me vis-a-vis my parents, right? Obviously, my parents weren't coming from the exact same situation, but, but, you know, we were, we're both parents now. And, and I think that experience has kind of, I don't know, maybe like brought more nuance and clarity to how I feel about that whole question. I don't know. What do you guys think? Wait, so if I could paraphrase back, are you just trying to minimize the suffering of your kids? Financially? No. What do you mean minimize the suffering of my children? Well, because because you're like what you're willing to do for your parents, you just actually don't expect them to do that for you. Like it's because so that it'll be less of a financial toll on them. Is that what you're also saying? No, but I, I think I'm just like I, I'm I'm trying to give without having a lot of feeling like then I need reciprocity or that they owe me somehow, which I feel like is a very Asian traditional perspective, right? Like I raise you and then, you know, I think Susan, you were saying this earlier, like I raise you and then you you owe me, right? But like this bleeds into a lot of other areas of life. Like I get to have a say in what you do for work because you owe me. I get to have a say in who you marry because you owe me. Like, you have to support me when I'm old because you owe me. Hey, look, I I feel that way with my dad. And I do owe him. Like, 
he he did sacrifice everything for his kids. He didn't live a life for him. And because we came as refugees from Vietnam to America in the 80s. And I do owe him. I do owe him. And I feel that. I, I, I mean, is it guilt? Yeah, it's part guilt. But I, is it the right thing to do? I think it's also the right thing to do. Do I want to remove that from Art's existence in terms of him feeling guilt all the time and doubting his choices so that he can make my life happy? Like, I don't want him to do that. So I, I'm going to, and I'm much more educated and privileged than my dad because of his sacrifices. So I'm going to do everything I can so that Art was not going to be in that financial position, you know? But I think that's because that's a privileged thing that I can be in this place now where I don't expect him to do any of that. Do I want him to come play pickleball with me every week? Maybe every like three, three, three week cadence would be sufficient, you know? But like, it's so it's such a different scenario now. So yeah. of course you want something different. I agree. I mean, I think some of it is privilege related. A lot of people, I don't know, maybe need to rely on their kids, right? Because otherwise it's just not going to work. But I don't know. I mean, I think some of it is like in the details too, right? I mean, sometimes people make decisions that they're not like, you're just like, are you thinking about your future? Like, are you thinking about your retirement? Do you really need that thing? Like, is that the best use of your money? Right. And so I'm just saying it's a nuanced thing, right? And you may feel maybe rightly, I, I don't know, like that you you owe your parents, but but the fact is they are also adults who are making a lot of choices that you have no control over. And then plus there's this expectation that you somehow share in the burden of taking care of them. So, you know, I, I think for me, like you kind of have to even those things out or you have to weigh those things. Right. And so where that boils down to for me is do I feel a certain level of obligation and responsibility? Like, yes, but it's not nearly as much as I felt when I was younger. Yeah. Kate, what do you think? I think that our expectations for our generation may not necessarily be any less than our parents. It just looks very different, right? For our parents, they they worked hard. If they were here as immigrants, they had to go through a lot, you know, to make sure that we could have a basic, like we could have a decent education, a better life than they had, right? But because of how they grew up and other, and lack of access to resources, they didn't work hard on working through trauma, right? And that was passed down to us. Now, our generation, well, not all of our generation, but at least the three of us and some of our listeners have the desire, resources, and ability to work on that trauma and to try to write it so that our children don't have to live with that trauma. But then I wonder if then our expectations are not necessarily of the sort that our parents' generation might have had, which is, oh, gift me these things or show me that you, you know, you be, be successful so that would repay, you know, all the effort that I've put in, et cetera. But ours is more of a subtle, but not necessarily any less demanding expectation of an emotional intimacy or of a relational intimacy. Or does that make sense? Because when I think about the struggles that I'm going through to try to be a better parent for my daughter. It, I'm not struggling like my parents did, which is like my mom was waitressing, you know, even though she had like a college education and like she was cleaning toilets and, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I don't, I'm not suffering like that. Right. But, but I am facing on a pretty regular basis, my own family trauma, my own childhood trauma and questioning and wrestling with those things. So does that, is that going to translate when my daughters are older? I'll, I'll feel like, wait, I went through so much for you to break that generational trauma, right? So I don't know. Actually, I wonder about that. I actually, it's just a thought it was just coming to me during our discussion. So I don't know if our demands are necessarily less. It's, it's apples and oranges. You can't really compare, right? But I think we will have our own expectations. And I don't think we'll realize the full extent of those expectations until our children are grown. Like, it's easy for us to sit here talking about it. Like, oh yeah, I won't be like my parents. And they definitely <laughs> won't expect, you know, art or like, you know, whenever to, to give me money or whatever, but we'll have our own set of expectations. But, you know, I think maybe we can be more aware of those and manage those in a more healthy way than our parents, because our parents 
probably aren't aware of, you know, why they're they're asking for those expectations. They're not digging into their psyche. Maybe they are. No. <laughs> I don't know about it. Right? Does that make sense? Sorry, it's, it's kind of a jumble, but but that really struck me as we were talking. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with this idea that it's easy to talk now and then like, oh, yeah. Know, Right. Like, who knows how we'll be in 30 years? We'll have to come back and listen to it or or like better yet, like one of my kids will dig up the episode and they'll be like, see, you see, you said this. You won't expect anything from us. Um, Yeah. A girlfriend of mine, I just saw her last weekend. She was like, oh, I've been listening to your podcast and and I saw your shows and how lucky art will have this archive of stuff to know you when he's older. And I thought that was really beautiful. She and I both lost parents when we were young. And there was this desire just to know your parents back then or just who they are as holistic human beings. So children to all of our, our all of our kids, we're giving you a gift. I, I am thinking about my true expectations of my kid. And I just, I I hope we have a, a relationship, you know, where we he actually enjoys hanging out with me instead of me forcing him and making him feel guilty to. I just had this like this vision where I'd be in this like older folks commune rather than like, I don't know, one of those other ones. You'll be like in an aging hippies commune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but then I'll like have super high cholesterol and can't have sodium. And I'll be like, art, art, do like project squid, activate project squid. And then he'll come with like, a bag of Popeye's chicken for me and like I'll eat it behind a tree or something and I'll be like, yeah, I have this like great relationship with my son where he sneaks me food I can't have. You know, that'd be fun. Okay, wait, I wanted to go back. I have so many questions about this old person commune. I'm like, are you there of your free will? Is there salt as this commune? Like, what's going on? It's one of those anti-MSG ones and you're like, no, give me shin ramen. I don't know. I don't know where my mind went, but there it went. I wanted to go back to your discussion of hereditary wealth and I need to make a confession. Yeah. (sighs) Growing up in high school, there were these white kids. I mean, everyone was white. There were these white kids who would go to Lake Tahoe on the weekends because they had a vacation home there. Oh, yeah. Or like, and maybe I imagine some of them, like that cabin has been in their family for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've run into those folks too. Yeah. Friends, you know, lovely to share their family cabin with other friends. But you go there and you're like, that's interesting. Yeah. And I have friends who just their parents and their parents and, and there's like family heirlooms there and it's like a sweet location or it's right in in nature and like you get to decompress there and you always have your annual family reunions there. And I'm just like, I mean, I know Airbnb and VRBO has changed the market in terms of feeling like, oh, we don't need to have that kind of obligation and maintain a building that we don't 100% utilize, whatever. But like, I feel jealous, you know, like that would be really cool to have i don't want my kid and their kid to always feel like they're starting at zero the idea of being debt free after college is amazing slash we got our kid canadian citizenship so hopefully he goes to a canadian college but like i i I, it's it's this balance of i want to reduce your suffering so you can actually truly explore what you want and do those things instead of banging your head against the wall for like 10 to 20 years being like, I hate my life. What do I actually want? Who am I really? Because I've been obligated to do these other career choices. Like, I don't want him to suffer that way. But also I want him to have some form of grit where like everything isn't just handed to him. And then he just like has no appreciation for anything and doesn't come to me with Popeyes in my old age. You know, like I I, I want art, future art. It's very yeah. important. The Popeyes very important. Popeyes is, no offense, way better than Azelle's. Okay. Everyone, it's, you know, the cells is so great. I'm just going to say it right now. Popeyes is better. It's crunchier. Anyway, the point in all of this is like raising a kid. I mean, so it's the term in Vietnamese is hue. So it's that's the feel of piety. That's the gratitude. That's the acknowledging the sacrifice and returning the gift. And and that's still like, of course, like I 
I do want that to be unspoken. <laughs> I, I do want him to treasure the gift I have given him and give and, and return that because he wants to, not because he feels obligated to. But but that 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 tension of I mean, I don't think we're gonna like die with that much money, you know, where like Bill Gates status where those you're really thinking about like how much am I gonna leave behind versus give away. But I do want him to work for his money. But I also want to reduce his suffering. Somebody give me that magic number and and tell me the the annual installments of money to give him of my inheritance when I die. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Like, where's the line, right? Is the line just like college? Is the line like grad school? Is the line like a deposit for a first house? Wait, wait, Is... what if he wants four grad school degrees? You know, those people yeah, who like exactly. well, go to school but, a lot. But, but, but if he can't afford it, he won't. Right? Like, if he can't afford to go to four graduate programs, then maybe he won't. But if he can, maybe he will. <laughs> so, I mean, so where's the line, right? So it's like uh, uh, a seed start for retirement, like covering co college tuition for his kids or her kids. I mean, like, where's the line? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know where that line is. I think it's very gray. It probably also like that number, you know, if, if there hypothetically is like an exact number, it probably also depends on your kid and their personality and their life choices. And when you have more than one, it complicates the picture too, because there's the question of fairness. So yeah, I don't know what the magic number is. Kate, you brought up the whole like you can't give you can get it and give your inheritance until they reach their uh, early 30s yeah so i i have to ask their specific details but i think you can give it out in installments starting at you know when they're an adult 18 or the 21 18 18 18 and then i think the you can keep it in trust i think either some or all of it somebody's one of our listeners is going to listen actually one of our listeners is going to yell at me because he's like, you should know this, my friend. But I think the latest is like something in your third, maybe 33. I may be pulling that out of my ass, but you can keep some of it in trust until that age, right? And I think what are, are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, this is why Nerv and I need to revise our estate plan. And I've been thinking a lot about this. And he was like, oh, it's going to take many hours of discussion. Let's just table it until next year. And I was like, what if we die in the interim? He's like, the chances of that are very low. I don't know yet. I mean, hmm. I think we have to, Nerva and I have to really discuss that. Yeah. I, I also think the, the part of how your kids make decisions is it's like a work in progress, right? In terms of your interaction with them and how you raise them will influence how they make decisions too, plus their individual personality. You know, I feel like it's really hard to predict just because the money is there, then they're going to go and do all these degrees. If the money's not there, then they won't. It, it's also just everyone is so individual. It's very tricky to, to manage that ahead of time. I mean, I guess my hope is when I'm in my 50s, I'll be in conversation with my son about my aging. In my 60s, my 70s, maybe at my every five-year birthday party, we'll have a discussion about my, my aging and about like art. I really want to live in your garage. No, mom. Okay, I'll ask you next time. I don't feel like maybe things will change. You know, maybe he'll be living in my villa or something. I don't know, but it's going to be an ongoing conversation. And I think situationally, like, like even just, I was thinking about a recording last year about sugar and screens. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Art's been, it's like it's been a year and I'm like, mm, throw that policy out the window. Like, it's, it's. It's different now, right? And it's only been a year. And so how I feel 20 to 40 years from now, can I even imagine that? Will uh, I even know what my body is like? You know, I got to tell you, I I've, I did a blood test for my annual exam. Cholesterol results came back. It's off the chart. It's off the charts in a terrible way. And uh, and so today I made myself steel cut oats and that, that shit takes like 30 to 40 minutes. <laughs> And I made some for the week because I was like, I got to lower my cholesterol. I got to get a control on my my weight. And because it's about my future. And Marvin and I are actively exercising, not only for our mental health, but for our future health. You get what I'm saying? So like what you do for your retirement and your aging actually has to do with your choices today. Besides just like a spreadsheet of, okay, we need this in the bank, in these index funds, and then by the time we're 50 or 60, we're going to de-risk it and like doll it out as we like 
age because we all think at 65 somehow then you're we all hope we are going to live to at least 65 right so we don't have any like financial penalty so I, I what I'm trying to say is part of removing the burden from your kids is actually about making healthy choices now and so we're trying to make those changes yeah which which means way less breakfast sandwiches for me and I love my I love my breakfast sandwiches and I love my crispy bacon but like can you just my, not not my, eat like instant oatmeal? Is that I mean not the instant instant. There's kind, old but fashioned, there's the, yeah, yeah, like old fashioned rolls. It doesn't take oats. forty minutes. Yeah, I don't it takes think like that three minutes yeah. in the microwave. That's what. And we the eat. nutritional difference is like nil, basically. Oh no, I'm all about instant oats. No, no, not yeah, not, not the instant. Yeah, yeah. There's like well, three kinds. There's yeah. like the whole oats, and then there's rolled oats, which take like three minutes in the microwave. And then there's instant, which is like less than a minute, like 30 seconds. You don't want the instant kind because that's really, really yeah, processed. Yeah, yeah. But you could do yeah. the rolled oats. They're that, all or old fashioned. They're called old fashioned. Yeah, old fashioned, yeah. like Quaker's oats. Yeah. Because 30 minutes is like a lot of time to make oatmeal. Well, somebody ate the last of the instant oatmeal and just didn't put it on the grocery list. So this morning I, I just came back from a trip and I'm like, OK, reduce cholesterol. And I'm like opening the cupboards. I was like, where are all my things? So that's the only reason why I'm eating the steel cut oats. But I don't know. Anyways, my point is, is like, yes, take care of yourself. No, like it's real. You really need to take care of yourself. Oh, yeah. Even and Mar Marvin said, like, if you don't work on strength, like after you're in your 40s plus, it's hard to keep building new strength. So like you need to do it actually. right. Well, now. Asian women are also prone to more prone to osteoporosis than East Asian women than other categories. At the stage of women. So what does that mean? Are you taking glu glucose? No, 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 no. I'm just strength. Actually, I think strength training, strength training is, is, is better. Yeah, yeah, it's good for yeah. prevention of osteoporosis. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's another part of the equation. What I wanted to ask you all is, I don't know if you're going to tell me this. Maybe you can tell me a portion of this. Is what is your retirement number in terms of like, how much do you plan for, okay, we're going to live off this annually. And then did you also do an input of elderly care like do you get what i'm saying like have you actually done that math yet because um, we keep saying that we're gonna not put the burden on our kids and i'm like cool what's the number or like what's your equation like can i take that equation can i plug in my stuff too um, i feel like jeanette's a better person to ask this too because i think at least from our perspective nerf doesn't really plan to retire in the classic sense like, I think he's just somebody who will just keep doing stuff as long as it's interesting. Right. And then for me, same thing. I mean, we're and we're, but we're trying to build up an approach where I think we can, you know, increase our assets reasonably over time, diversify, et cetera. But we're not we don't have like a this is the number or, you know, at this age, we must achieve this. I think this is it's a very like a millennial thing, maybe, or being in the startup world, tech startup world, like people just, you know, are like, oh, I just want to, although I guess maybe some people, once they really make it and they sell their startup, they can really retire. But that is not the case with Nerv's startup. But anyway, my point is, I guess the mentality we have is less this specific number or a specific age. I think we're okay to keep going just because we both are not on, I guess, traditional career paths anyway, if that makes sense. But then how do you know you're not going to put the burden onto your... Because we are already, I think for us, like we already are very financially, like we have a decent amount saved by. We've made really good investments in real estate kind of by like a little bit partly through luck. And then also just, you know, Nerev likes to do his own investments and we've been doing pretty well there. And so, yes, anything can go wrong. But like if you're not selling off when it, you know... When everybody, when, when, when the stock market is down, et cetera. I mean, I can't like, you know, I'm not going to go into numbers specifically, but I think our trajectory is very healthy, shall we say. So un unless something terrible happens, like, I don't know, or houses all, our house burns up. Apocalypse. Yeah. Which nobody can really, you know, account for that. But yeah. Yeah. I think for us, I don't know if it's so different. Jake and I, we've talked about it, and I don't think we can really see the long period of time where we're just not working. I mean, I think we both enjoy working. I think that we, what we would like is to make the financial stuff a less of a consideration in working, 
right? And I'll just be frank, like I don't feel comfortable sharing exact numbers because I feel like that's, yeah, that's where I feel like the boundary is in terms of what I feel comfortable with stuff being out there. But, you know, I don't think it's rocket science. You just kind of think, okay, how much money do I think I want to be able to spend on a monthly basis? And I think the number we have reasonably covers like some level of, you know, whatever, if we had to live in assisted living or we had to have hired help or whatever. So I think it would accommodate for that. And then you just think like, okay, one way to think about it is like how much time, you know, do you think you'll, you'll be in that situation where you'll be, you'll need to draw down on your assets or live off of like the returns of your assets. And you just kind of come to a number that you think you need to hit. I think the other thing that people do, if you want to be like more aggressive or more ambitious than that is, you know, there's like this thing called the 4% rule, which is like, you know, just based on historical returns. And this is like a very like fire thing, like the, you know, that financial independence, retire retire early. early. Yeah. It's like this whole like internet subculture thing where there's a lot of these influencers who talk about, you know, common strategies include generating passive income, like working really hard in your when you're younger years and then potentially relocating to a lower cost of living place, whether it's in the United States or abroad, so that you could just basically retire early if you would like. But one of the things that they like to talk about and but I don't think it's like specific to the fire movement is, you know, if you basically want to be able to live off of your assets in perpetuity, then they talk about the 4% rule, right? Which is like you take amount of investable assets you have, let's say it's $100,000. That won't be enough, right? To live off of. But basically, if you have like $100,000 in assets, then 4% of that is $4,000. So if you draw $4,000 out of your investment account, like in perpetuity, If the stock market behaves as it has in the past, which is no guarantee that it'll continue to do so in the future, but if it does, then you could potentially draw $4,000 out of that account in perpetuity, you know, until you die. And, and by the end, you should still have most of that $100,000 left. So that, that's kind of like another framework to think about. Okay. Like, I think I want to be able to have $80,000 of income like every year, right? And without doing any work, then you need to hit a savings goal of $2 million, right? Because 4% of 2 million is 80,000. So so I think that's another framework that I've seen people use. Yeah, so I think for us, it's not so much like we want to just retire. So Kate, I don't know if it's like that actually like far off from how you and Nirav are thinking about it. I think that we would like more flexibility to work less and also to choose jobs or projects weighing interests more heavily than the financial considerations. But but I think neither of us can really like imagine a world where we would just not work for years and years at a time, like because I think we would be kind of bored. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, where we have the freedom or like, and I think it's kind of an ongoing discussion, right? Because in terms of like, what at what point do you have the luxury of picking and choosing more? Because let's say something you do along the road puts you in a better financial position to make those decisions. I guess that's what I meant, you know, to say earlier in terms of what Nerv and I do respectively. It's not a traditional trajectory of every year, you, you know, maybe you can count on every few years, you can count on this kind of, you know, salary increase and then here and then you go up the ladder. It can be more like, maybe a little flat and then you might get a really big bump and then it might be a little flat. So it's almost a like, I think along the way we have to have those discussions, which I know is not very helpful if you are in a more linear trajectory, but I think that's, yeah, that's how we think about it. Marvin wants to retire at 50, have a sailboat and then like just sail and rock climb. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to do that. That's what I want. I don't want to work. And I was Did like, he calculate it out? Like, yeah. 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 And I was like, okay, <clears throat> let's see how I fare. <laughs> so I was like, does that come from me? Which is very, it's like, it's part of that is aspirational, which is like, you know, working until you're 65, pretend when a lot of people retire 65, how many years do you get to enjoy that money? You know? So 
there's that consideration. But then the other part is like, you're 50, you're kind of like at the peak of your game in terms of annual salary. So if you just work one more year, you're going to get that much more money based on all the experience you've acquired. Why not just work one more year? But I don't He's he's talked about maybe like or having the flexibility to do like part time contract work work you work six months at a time and then then you just travel and do your own thing for a little bit and then and come back and do something that's like piecemeal like a three to six month gig for me I I hope that I can always be taking on jobs that I actually really like and I would like that I I don't I imagine myself ever stop working we always do this exercise of okay. You only have five years of your life left. What do you do with it? One year, six months, three months. I'm actually working all the way up until the three-month mark, usually. And I would want to be, like, doing motivational speaking and, like, coaching. <laughs> it's like, I, it's just, it's, I, I find so much value in it. But Marvin wants to go sailing around the world and wants to take me with him. And I've tried to re tell him repeatedly, I still need to figure out how to swim. That's yeah. my that's my husband for you. In the back of my mind, I have some of our, our listener comments because and and we're planning to do kind of a like I don't know a retrospective, like a meta episode on our our experience doing this podcast and how the experience has been and what we're thinking of like going forwards and that'll come I think early in 2023. But you know, I, I think as a part of that, we've just been listening, reading through some listener comments and and reviews and I think overall like our reviews are very positive I have seen one or two that just I, I think the only dings we get is like something along the lines of like um just unacknowledged privilege and, and I just want to say that I hear that comment I think I think to some degree we're conscious of it and I think that we all you know we all have experiences like growing up where we face different economic situations than maybe where we are now. I, I I also want to say that a lot of the options and choices we're talking about are, yeah, I totally want to acknowledge is not available to everyone. It's not, it wasn't available to my parents. It wasn't available to me when I was young. And I think very similar for Kate and Susan, but, but it is kind of like our reality now. It is, it is the reality for at least some of our listeners. And so I hope for those who feel like, oh, this is not really relatable, that you could find value in other parts of what we're talking about, um, but also lend a little bit of just grace for us. Because I think what, what at least I, I think we're trying to do on the podcast is speak very honestly from our experience. And we wouldn't be able to speak honestly if we were, you know, pretending to talk about some other set of life experiences that we're not going through right now. So that's just a long-winded way of saying, and I think we'll come back to this in, in that later episode, but just to say, as we talk about like trusts and like the luxury of being able to retire, right? And the luxury of being able to save, like, I, I totally want to acknowledge that, that that's not a reality for a lot of people, but, but to say that we're just trying to speak from where we are and that, that some of, that our listeners could give us a bit of, yeah, grace around that. And that if this is not relatable to your situation right now, that I hope that there's other episodes and other things we talk about where you can get value and you feel like you can relate to that aspect of, of, the, of the show. Right. I mean, it's like consulting scope, right? What are we and what are we not? Like, what are we not is covering every element of society and every facet of it, right? We're, we're talking about what we know, which is our lives. I will say that I actually don't have these conversations with most other people. Like, it doesn't ever come up with most girlfriends that I hang out with, like, hey, what are you doing for your parents' retirement? Or, like, how are you thinking about your own elderly care? Like, I don't, I don't bring that up well, with that anybody. Seem like, you know, that's you dinner know, table conversation is maybe not the most scintillating topic. But, right, it's important. So, so I guess part of me spending time on this podcast is that it's also for me because I don't have a space to even talk about these things. And I learn a lot from both of you of like other things to consider and to be aware about. And I, and I feel like it enriches my own experience as a mother and just as like a, a woman trying to make it out in this world. So, you know, for what it's worth, it's just our truth, right? 
We hope you found something helpful, reassuring, or interesting in this episode of Model Minority Moms. If you enjoyed the episode, please help us spread the word by texting a friend about our show or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect with us, please visit our website at modelminoritymoms.com or follow us on Instagram where we love receiving messages from our listeners.